0: again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe basillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go in to the breach on the veritas catholic radio network thirteen fifty on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial serving the new york city metropolitan area spreading the truth of the catholic faith we would ask you all please to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Racinello, did you know that Bishop Caggiano's uh, podcast is in the top 10% of podcasts in America? You that know, I it, did not uh, know.
1: That's impressive. Yes, it
0: is. So, you know, people are downloading the app and they're listening to Veritas shows. Uh, so we're happy about that. So we would encourage you all out there that uh, to, to share our podcast with your friends who might not be in the you know New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, so that they could hear our content. Uh, and if you'd like to give us some feedback, you could go to veritascatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com. So if you appreciate what we do and you want to keep us going, you could donate uh and contribute to our success there financially and also give us feedback. Uh so if you love us, you hate us or anywhere in between, give us your feedback. We can always uh you know we would always appreciate that. And finally, Please follow Joe and I on our social media, which is uh, The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV on YouTube, and TheFrontlineTV.com, which is our website, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Today's going to be a very interesting conversation. There's a lot going on out there right now in the Catholic world as it pertains to the Latin Mass. Uh, So we are very pleased and honored today to be joined by David DeShiel, and he is the author of a new book out by Tan Books titled Ever Ancient, Ever New, Why Younger Generations Are Embracing Traditional Catholicism. Uh, So David, if you didn't think we were going into the breach today, we're going into the breach, brother. (laughs) I promise you that. Um, I do want to, for those of you out there who are not familiar with David, I want to give a brief introduction. David DeShield is a freelance writer, editor, and proofreader in the Pittsburgh area, or did you say you're in Pittsburgh or Tennessee now? Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, He works for a variety of Catholic publishers and websites, among them Scepter Publishers and Sophia Institute. On occasion, he lectures at Franciscan University in Steubenville, where he earned, he earned his Master's of Arts degree in theology. David DeShield, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thanks. Good to be here. David,
1: Excellent. we're going to begin with a prayer because all good things start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To you we come before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word, incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Before the show, David and I were chatting. We were talking about Nashville. And it's funny. Uh full, di- you know, full disclosure, I-, I do not go to Latin Mass. I go to a Novus Auto Mass. But I did go to Latin Mass in Nashville, Tennessee. Interesting oh. enough, I was it was a Sunday. I was staying at the Marriott, the courtyard, around the corner from Broadway, not far from Tootsie's, that oh. famous bar. And uh, I'm looking for a church. Sunday, I want to go to church. And the one church that I found, which was in walking distance, it was one mass on Sunday, and it was Latin, and I went to it in Tennessee. So I find that to be pretty interesting. And then I got some barbecue and had a good day. <laughs> I drank a few yeah. nice cold beers as well on Broadway. It was fun. Uh, it's a good town. But, uh Tell me a little bit about your personal journey. How did you get to the Latin Mass? Um, I read the book. Um, you kind of walk us through your journey. Um, I, I think our listeners will be interested in it.
2: Sure. yeah, so I was a bit um I was a bit late to the party, I'd say. Um, I grew up a, a cradle Catholic and um, my parish at home in Baltimore, Maryland was sort of um sort of lukewarm, sort of hokey, you know you would think uh, a typical, Typical parish at that time, um, and I learned the faith. You know, I went to religion class. I went to mass every Sunday. Um, my mother was very faithful in that regard, but I didn't know too much about it. You know, I just kind of knew the basics. You know, I'd heard about the gospels, read some of those, but didn't really know the meat of the faith. You know, the the why behind the church and the sacraments and that sort of thing. But it was enough to keep me going. It was enough to keep going. Somebody like me who's into routine and religion and that sort of thing, who sees the value in it already. And so by the time it came to choose a college, I had wanted to go in for either music, you know, playing percussion or something like that, or theology, maybe being a youth minister at the time. And so I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville and got more and more into my faith and started to realize that there's a lot more here. There's a lot more meat here. I hadn't really heard much about the saints, Um, but I also realized that during my time at Franciscan, I hadn't heard much about the Church before Vatican II either. You know, I was learning a lot, a lot about the Church, especially. But there was a lot of references to Pope Benedict XVI, John Paul II, who are great, but it's not all the Church is. So I started to kind of investigate a little bit, and this was part of kind of a, a general dabbling in different spiritualities, that sort of thing. I hadn't heard of the Charismatic Renewal or, you know, praise and worship music. And so I did those sort of events, but I also did more traditional things or considered traditional, you know, the rosary, adoration. And then during my last year at Francisco, my last couple of years, I started going to Latin mass. They had it just once a month there. It's a high mass and then once a month is a low mass. So I started going and at first it, it just appealed to me on a more natural level. You know, I went in and I could see that okay, everybody's facing the same direction. The servers really seem focused on what they're doing. There's there's a little bit more silence here. I feel like personally I can pray a little better, I can contemplate a little better, meditate. There's more of that silent atmosphere. And then there's a seriousness about it. You know, everybody seems to know that something important is going on. I can't really understand all of it. You know, I had some Latin background, but I couldn't understand every word, but I at least knew that everybody seemed to be serious about the event that's going on. So that kind of drew me in. And then as the years went by, I graduated, you know, became engaged to my now wife and we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where we went to the church you probably went to. Um, Cause there's only one or two places that offer the Latin mass here, church of the assumption. And they, at the time, so now they have all Latin mass, except for one English, Nova Sorda mass at the time, it was kind of reverse. They had, I think two Latin Masses a week. And so we would try every so often to go to the Sunday Latin Mass. And they had a little potluck afterwards um, the first Sunday in a month. And there we met some really good close friends who just basically taught us that people who go to Latin Mass aren't crazy. And so that kind of softened us a little bit there. And we started to become more and more attracted to it just as a form of worship. And then that kind of cemented A year or two after that, when we moved to Pittsburgh for a couple of years, I was working as a liturgist, learning some things about that, reading some liturgical documents, but also reading some more theological things about Latin Mass from people like Timothy Gordon and Dr. Peter Krasniewski. And those really answered the final questions I had. So first, it was kind of an attraction to this beauty and the form of worship. And then after that, I got the reasons that explained, oh, actually, this makes theological sense, which... Hit hard with me being someone who got a degree in theology and wanted to work for the church.
0: David DeShield is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe Joe Pasillo Joe Vercinillo, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. The book published by Tam Books that David has written is ever ancient, ever new. While younger generations are embracing traditional Catholicism, David, I want to segue from. I want to make a point and segue into my next question. Joe and I detest camps. Camps in the Catholic Church. You alluded to a little bit of it, where um, you have one group of people. Let's say one camp doesn't. I don't even think they know if a church existed before 1965. Okay. I mean, I'm, I know it sounded like I'm joking, but I'm not. It's like when you talk about the things we're like we're talking about today. Uh, oh, there's another 1935 years that you have to account for in church history. That's one camp. Then you have the other camp that says uh, nothing after 1965 is any good joe and i detest both of that okay but i will say this all right and also when it comes to the mass okay um i know some i know some uh, i happen to go to latin mass because i think we were not my wife and i went we're naturally drawn to it and that's where we've stayed um and that's fine i'll go to any novus ordo mass my larger point is that and again there's you know great catholics in the novus ordo there's great catholics in the in the tlm and there's Some, you know, not so great Catholics, if you want me to put it like that. My larger point is that there is, though, a problem from an objective point of view, without getting into any camps. okay, there is a problem since Vatican II. And as Joe Racinello likes to say on the show all the time, okay, as Jesus said, uh, we will know them by their fruit. And the fruit of Vatican II is this. This is a statistic I think should alarm people, that we're talking about 60, 70 years or so since Vatican II, something like that. Mm -hmm. The... It's it's an approximately 460 million Catholics have left the faith in that time. That's horrible, and there's and you ha- we must look at Vatican II because that's a tremendous tremendous drop off. I love your thoughts on that. Sure, yeah. So
2: I um I first want to say that I'm with you too as far as camps go. I hesitated to call myself kind of a traditional Catholic even in the book. I just. I don't think it describes it well enough, and it kind of puts people into a box. It's and But of course at the same time, I don't want to just say I'm a Catholic because then it makes it seem like the people who don't go to Latin Mass aren't Catholic enough, which isn't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that to get it out of the way, but I agree there's been a problem since Vatican II, and it's not necessarily – the council's fault, but the council was the occasion for a lot of it in this sense. So I think that, um, and you can you can say different things about the intentions of different bishops going into the council, different experts who advise those bishops, cardinals. Um, but regardless, the way the documents turned out, they're not you know wicked in themselves, but there are certain statements, and I could point to a few, that are just a little more ambiguous. And so some people can interpret them in light of the church's teaching. Some people can interpret them against the church's teaching. And unfortunately, in the, especially in the decades that immediately followed, more people interpreted them against the church's teaching, at least more people in charge. And you get kind of a trickle-down effect to the laity. I'm thinking of one specific thing. And this is where I think I, I could pinpoint a good amount of that, you know, apostasy that leaving the faith since Vatican II is a kind of a belief that the faith isn't really that special. That the church isn't the one true church. And that therefore you could be a good Muslim or a good Protestant or even a good atheist and have just as much, maybe slightly less, you know, and some people's mind, but like just as much a likelihood of getting to heaven as, say, a good Catholic. And so when you get that attitude, whether it's implicit or explicit, you end up kind of deafening that evangelical impulse and you end up having less fervor for it those things that are specifically catholic like the sacraments and the mass and you begin to de-emphasize that you begin to de-emphasize faith in your personal life and there's something that something of that in what the modern world was going through at the time too so there's kind of this cross pollination but i think vatican ii at least people who interpreted it negatively was the occasion at least chronologically for all this stuff happening this de-emphasis on the uniqueness of the faith and so if it's not that unique, you know, why, why not choose something that appeals more to your personal tastes or it seems to make you more happy in the moment? Well, I could well, say yeah, this yeah, makes sense.
1: Uh, like in my walk as a calf, I I'm 51 and I've been practicing since I'm 22. Um, I've seen a lot of different things, a lot of different orders, both good and bad. Um, what I have found is those who stick to the vine bear fruit. It it comes down to that. I've said this on the show time and time again. Being Catholic is painting by numbers. It's not your church on the right or on the left, and it's not for you to determine what the church is. It is for you to follow what the church teaches. With that said, I am not a canon lawyer. I have not read all the documents on Vatican II, but I have heard what you just said, David, in fairness to what you said, that there are— statements in the documents that are ambiguous. I work in a legal capacity, um, and to be truthful with you, they should be tightened up. If there is uh, trouble coming from a statement, then tighten it up. Um, With that said, though, I look at those documents as valid because the church stated them. Um, I wanna get that out of the way. Uh, and, And because to be honest with you, there are people who don't, and I vehemently disagree with them. What I am going to put out, and I'd like to hear your comments on it, is it's not the documents, it's the spirit of Vatican II. People have taken this, and and for lack of a better way to put it, they bastardized it. They they basically took it, and they said, I'm going to make this my own, and that's why it's not bearing fruit. Talk about that a little bit, um, because I, I'm, I'm interested in, in your take on it.
2: Right. Yeah. So there, are, there are a few different perspectives on it. I, I can't speak as as specifically to the intentions of the people of the council, but I can tell you generally what I've heard, without you know getting too gossipy, um, is that you know people like the one of the major architects of the new mass, the main architect, um, Bishop Annabelle Pignini, he and you know some others involved in the council, maybe a little more tangentially at the time, did apparently have the intention of. Putting ambiguous language in the text so that it can be interpreted in a way that's a little more, um, you know, to to use camps because I don't have a better word, a little more progressive, a little more modern. And so in that way to kind of subtly subvert the faith, you know, as it was taught at the time. So you could say you could in that way connect the spirit with the council itself, but I don't really think that's fair because it's some people who wanted it to be stated in some way in the council and that doesn't mean it was actually born out always and everywhere. So I think the spirit the spirit of it is more, you know, people taking it like you said, kind of wanting to co-opt the faith, wanting to take these opportunities and say, okay, I'm going to make some of this in my own image because now I have the opportunity, I have a little more choice, I have a little more options. And maybe you could tie that specifically to individual priests if you want to get a little more detailed because The new mass, which was, you know, for the council, it came after, it's not Vatican II, but it is, you know, kind of, it's attempting to be faithful to the spirit of it. It it gives the priest more options. And so those can be good sometimes, and those can be a little worse sometimes. But some, at some points, it leads to the implicit attitude of the priest where, okay, you know, I have a little bit more control over the mass, over the liturgy. So if I have a personal preference today, and the choices allow for that, you know, I should go with that rather than potentially what I think is, you know, best for my flock or what honors the Lord more, and so that's the perspective from the priestly angle. But then, from the angle of the laity, you see the approach of Vatican II, which is to engage the modern world, which is a good one. But for many who aren't as who aren't discerning, it can be interpreted as becoming the modern world or becoming more like the modern world taken without any sort of prudence or discernment of, okay, what are the good elements in the modern world? What are the bad? And so once you get to that point, you have, from a lay perspective, people, maybe youth ministers, for example, say, well, we should just make the mass more attractive. We should add all of these modern things, add all of these things that other congregations are doing that are attractive people. And that's that's the good we're looking for, just to get people through the door, rather than, as you say, to stick to your roots, to be Faithful to the vine, to be faithful to Christ.
0: Absolutely. David DeShield's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rasinello. On the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. And man, are we in the breach? We're discussing David's new book, Ever Ancient, Ever New, while younger generations are embracing traditional Catholicism. I have one comment, David, that I want to get to the Latin mass. Okay. And let's talk about some positive things. My biggest problem, okay, is and 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 listen, I'm I'm a sinner. I'm not, I'm not judging anybody because I already can hear what I'm about to say. I can hear the voices out there saying, Oh, you're being so judgmental. Okay. But here's my problem that I've that I encountered um my whole life in the Novus Ordo, or at least when I started practicing the faith in the last 15 years, I only attended Novus Ordo, okay? Um, And the TLM, not that one camp is better than the other or anything like that, but I do see a certain level of selfishness that I didn't like, that I heard come out of people's mouths. I want the priest facing me. I'm not a child, I don't wanna receive a communion on on my, I don't wanna be fed by the priest, I want it in my hand. I heard a lot of I, 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 I. And to me, that's a red flag. So then I and my wife started going to Latin Mass. And I don't know everybody in our Latin Mass parish, okay? But I do know this, they're not telling the priest that he's gotta turn around and face the congregation, okay? And you have no choice about receiving uh, the Eucharist. You're kneeling and you're receiving the Eucharist on the tongue. And now I want to just throw that in there. I just that was one of the attitudes I didn't like, which could be pervasive on on both sides, let's say, of this. Uh, but I don't like that me, 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 I, I, I attitude um, that I happen to experience. Okay, again, it's my experience. It's a bit more anecdotal, uh, but I wanted to throw that in there. But let me let me say this to you: um, the Latin Mass is growing. There is no question about that. Okay. And that's despite some of the things we've already alluded to. Okay. This, the hijacking of of Vatican II through the spirit of Vatican II. And this some, I think Tim Gordon would call it weaponized ambiguity. Now he he, he usually says that referring to current times. Uh, but that could apply to the last 60 or 70 years. OK, uh, you mentioned Bonini um, and people like him It could be weaponized ambiguity. I think that that's an appropriate um, description. But the mass is the Latin mass is growing. So you've you wrote the book. Why is that? Even though there's been a drop off. Why are people flocking to the traditional mass?
2: Right. I think right. it's because, I mean, in short, because it provides something. Beautiful, stable, rational. You know, you can look at the transcendentals, true, good and beautiful. And that's that's especially what people, and maybe we'll get into it later, what young people are looking for. Because, you know, we're looking around at the world and there's a lot that's not stable. There's a lot that's not good. You're looking at the church, and there's a lot of scandal there too. Obviously, we still believe that, you know, the Catholic Church is the church of Christ. Um, but you know, there's a lot of troubling things happening. And so it's good to have something that you can rely on. Something that you know is basically untouched from the time of the apostles, transmits the faith unstained, and is speaking to you in the deepest way, is giving you true peace, because it's all oriented, you know, as directly as possible to the worship of God. And you can tell just walking in, I mean, you might not understand it, a lot of people don't understand Latin mass perfectly, you know, myself included, but you walk in... And it's very clear that this is the point. The point is to worship God. The point is to represent that sacrifice of Calvary. The point is to immerse you into this life of grace. And so I think that's key with the Latin Mass. And then once people get there, they find that the people in those communities are just kind and loving and supportive. And they're all in for a community life. You know, they're all in for supporting the family and having the faith not just be a footnote, but be something that permeates your life.
1: And what i think it is a lot of people who go to latin mass actually know what the mass is about they've encountered christ personally um and in many cases which again it's not my opinion it's pew research saying that only 70 30 percent of catholics um believe that christ is you know body blood soul and divinity in the eucharist i mean that is a fundamental belief as a Catholic, and if you're missing that, you're obviously not going to take the Mass serious, no matter what Mass you go to, but most probably you're not going to go to a Latin Mass, because you're not going to, in your head, intellectually connect why the priest is not staring at me, because you don't understand the fact that Christ is here, as in physically. I mean, I really wish we, you know, David, we talk to a lot of people Um and this is one that the bishops should be listening to this conversation, like, they should be listening to it, because people are missing something. And, and if you ask me, and I'm not going to bishop bash, but this is a very important thing to get, you know, you know, the Nova order Mass can be very beautiful. And I've gone to many that are. Uh, I always point to EWTN. If you ever want to watch a good Novosorto Mass, I think they do a fantastic job. Again, I didn't go to the Gregorian, you know, I'm. Um, you know, if I forgive me uh, out there, if anyone if I missed something, but just visually speaking, I think it's very respectfully done. Um, and it's reverent. Uh, sadly, a lot of them are, but people are missing that encounter. Uh, and that's what we have to work on. I think, as a church, we have to invite people to that encounter. And eventually, if we get that, I think our church will improve from the cardinals right down to the people in the pews.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Any thoughts on that, David?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's the case too. And I, when I was in Pittsburgh, I did work for you know about a year and a half as a liturgist for four different Catholic churches that merged into one and you can see that you know in the Novus Ordo as well there are Catholics that are committed to the faith and they understand you know a theme of what we've been talking about is that you know essentially the mass and the faith it's not about us you know it's about it's about the church Jesus Christ founded it's about worshiping the Lord worshiping Jesus Christ and there are people in the Novus Ordo who realize that as well and I think you know that's it's kind of a hard pill to swallow sometimes because you know, it's legitimate in many areas of life to want some choice, you know, to want to have your your preferences engaged in that kind of thing in a healthy way. But I think it's something we need to do more work on as a church to realize that your religion and the mass, you know, and precepts of the Lord and that sort of thing aren't really a place for what you want and what you desire. Now ultimately they're going to fulfill your deepest desires and bring you peace. But I think that's the attitude we're aiming at whether it's Latin Mass or Novus Ordo that I need the Lord and this isn't about me.
0: Oh, uh, you're right. Absolutely. David the Shield joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I want to say I I just moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. Um yeah. and my wife and I found a, a, an FSSP parish, okay? That's I um, think my
2: actually went there for 7 months or so before we got married.
0: Well, in, uh, in Scottsdale or Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, so we found an FSSP parish, uh, but we we've attended because we have friends here, one of whom is a deacon and he's assigned to a to a parish. OK, it's Novus Ordo. I went to a Novus Ordo here. Um, I think it's St. Bernadette's. OK, um, I might as well have been in a Latin mass. It was Novus Ordo. But the the whole mass, all the hymns, Latin, the Gloria, yep. Latin, the, the, the Sanctus, Latin. OK, um, the Our Father was the only prayer that we prayed in English, because a lot of people don't know it. OK, uh, but a lot of people, they, they, they knew the hymns. And, and, and I'm saying to myself, this is this is this is the Novus, the Reverend Novus Ordo Mass. I pointed it out to Joe Resinello, David. And I said, if every Novus Ordo Mass was like that with the reverence, OK, there wouldn't be too much of a discussion going back and forth um and those kind of camps that we were talking about earlier because nobody can accuse that pastor of a of a of a a, a, having a a celebrating mass that's not reverent it was completely reverent and it was very beautiful and yes it incorporated um a lot of the latin and we appreciated that um i want to just we have a couple minutes before the break. Uh David DeShield joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. I'll start a question, but then we can get we can get if you have more, we can get it to it at the uh, other side of the break. So there was a study that was conducted by uh Dr. Joseph Shaw, who's he's the chairman of the Latin Mass Society, and found that the average traditional parish has larger family sizes. Again, let's talk about fruit. Okay, larger family sizes, younger attendees, which is the title of your book. Okay, or or you allude to it in your title, and higher male attendance. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So
2: I think that's true in my own personal experience attending the Latin Mass. Um, you said, you know, larger families, younger attendees, larger male attendance. We might have to talk about male attendance a little bit after the break because I think I have, um, you know, more thoughts on that. Specifically, why the Latin Mass appeals to men, but yeah, you know, larger families. I mean, you see them. That's that's what makes up the majority of Latin Mass parishes: families with you know two, three, four, five kids. Um, and I think it, I think it has to do with the fact, not necessarily something inherent in the Latin Mass itself. Well, you could talk about you know maybe the seriousness seriousness of the Latin Mass, you know the the language of sacrifice and worship and many of the prayers compared to the Novus Ordo. So maybe there's something to that. You know, you want something more you know meaty maybe for your kids growing up but i think it speaks more to the community around latin masses where more often than not you'll find this in some nova sorta parishes too people are just hanging out after even daily mass you know hanging out outside after mass you can go up to people you can pretty much chat with anybody um and they're you know willing to give you the time of day and they're willing to have events and again present in other nova sorta parishes but you see it a lot at latin masses They're willing to have events like potlucks and catechesis, but for families, that's going to involve the whole family because they understand that it's important to engage the children, you know, and have something there for babies and childcare, that kind of thing. So there's a respect for the family that's really present in Latin mass communities. And then for young people, especially, it's more of what I said before, where we're looking for something stable. We're looking for something true, good, and beautiful. And, you know, we found something that allows us to follow the Lord and find peace in the Latin Mass. Really an anchor.
0: I, w- I want you to get into on the other side of the break. I know Joe wants us to get into a bunch more questions and obviously it's radio. We have limited time, but I do want you to get into the higher male attendance because that's what Joe and I are all about. We're trying to preach to Catholic men. That's one of the reasons why we started doing the front line with Joe and Joe. So we're going to come right back, David, and then we'll pick up on male attendance. The book is ever ancient, ever new. While younger generations are embracing traditional Catholicism. And the author who we are have the pleasure of speaking with today is David. The shield. David, where can folks buy the book? TAN Books, uh, Amazon, Target. Don't use Amazon. Buy it on TAN Books. Don't use Target. (laughs) Buy it on TAN Books. Go support our Catholic publishers. We're going to come right back at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Stick around.
3: Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe & Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe & Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at eight o'clock, tune in for the only late night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's not that late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that at 1230, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. And we are in The Brief on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network 1350 on your AM dial 103.9, on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. And please be sure, wherever you are, to download the app so that you can have access to all of our station's content and share that app with your friends. The author is David DeShiel. The book is ever ancient, ever new. While uh, Younger generations are embracing traditional Catholicism. Before the break, we started talking about um, a study that was done talking about the Latin mass having larger family sizes, younger attendees. We David talked about that, but then we want to get into higher male attendance. Okay. How do they say it in French, David? It's our raison d'etre. All right. That's why Joe and I are here. It's our reason for being is we said in the beginning, three years ago, four years ago, we want to evangelize and help in our way to evangelize Catholic men. Talk about the higher male attendance at the TLM. Sure. So there are a couple things.
2: Um, men want to challenge. They want to be challenged. They want to be called to something greater and they want to sacrifice for something that's good worth sacrificing for. Um, you know, I've, I've very much learned that, you know, being married, having a toddler and having another kid on the way, Uh, you, you want someone, someone really, you can give your life to, and ultimately that's going to be God. And the Latin mass is demanding, you know, it's challenging. You could certainly argue that it's more challenging than, you know, understanding the language of the mass for starters. Um, And so it's something that appeals to men, I think, because, they can go in and while it might be a little annoying at first, you know, it satisfies some deeper desire where you have to you have to sit at the feet of Christ and you have to learn, you know, you have to discipline yourself. And the prayers often they speak more of the focal point of the mass, the, the proffers, they speak of sacrifice, you know, they speak of worship, they speak of adoration of the Lord. And then the readings, you know, they speak of these particular moments in the covenant. They really highlight the lives of the saints. There are more feast days celebrated in the Latin mass calendar. And so you get the occasion to see all these different examples of holiness as well. So there's that call to something greater that's constantly repeated and repeated and repeated. And even more specifically, you hear a lot about military saints that aren't as prominent in the calendar anymore in the Latin mass, like, you know, St. Sebastian, saints who, you know, fought, who may have died in battle, martyrs. And those are real examples of virtue, especially for men who want to give their lives, whether it's, you know, physically, spiritually, or both, who want to give their lives for someone and ultimately for God, who want to be called to deny themselves for the purpose of that greater goal.
0: Thank you for that answer, David DeShield. Joe Resnello, I'm going to hand it over to you.
1: I want to comment on something that David said because it's very important. And again, all the bishops out there, if you're listening to our voice, there is no community in the Catholic Church in America, particularly in the Novus Ordo Mass. It's weak. Brandon McGinley, you may know him actually from Pittsburgh. I do. We've interviewed him a number of times. He wrote the book, The Prodigal Church, and he talks about, I read that book, he talks about the lack of community, and now you're talking about community in the Latin Mass. That's a good thing. You see, Catholics, I say this to my wife all the time, now I'm going to rant, but I have to say it. We just, we're like everybody else. Even if we go to church, we have to hang out. We have to have community. We have to take care of each other. Now, I'm not saying you exclude others. Oh, no, we're to be leaven in the world, but you got to kind of hang out. And I live, David, just so you know, near Jewish communities. I live near New York City. There are Orthodox Jews. I grew up next to them. Obviously, we don't agree theologically, but I respect them. They take care of their own. You'll never see an Orthodox Jewish kid in a public school. Never. Why do we send our kids? Here's another thing, you bishops out there, if you're listening to my voice. How could regular people afford Catholic schools? How? You got to be rich. Major issue. How How are you going to do it? That's not the case in the Jewish community. They get it. We don't. We got to work on it. I just want to, com- you know, comment on that because I got. No, keep- you,
0: said you, were, you said you were going on a ranch, yo. That was a good ranch. No, but oh, it's, the, like truth. It. it's got the truth. You the supercharged, brother. <laughs> but it's the truth,
1: and and people want like what you're talking about. Talk to people. You know, in fairness, David, too. I have a very good friend. He's one of my children's godfathers. He goes to the Neo Way. I don't go to it. He does. They do that. They have community they have like like and frankly it bears fruit those families 10 kids eight kids a lot of hispanic families obviously it started in madrid um i in i believe it was madrid i know it's in spain anyway they have that the latin mass has that it's missing in in the novus auto mass it's got to improve no question about it let's talk about the book itself now that my rant's over, I had to get that off my chest. I'm sorry. Uh,
0: now that let's—it's I mean, like anything else. Sometimes I, I, I and I, I would never accuse you of being disrespectful. That was not a disrespectful rant. You're saying you, you we're, the reason why we're having David on the show is because there is an issue. There's a problem. Whether it's not being able to afford Catholic yeah. school, being forced to put your kid in the, in the indoctrinate the Marxist indoctrination centers known as the public schools. Okay, there's a major problem. There's a major problem in the church. And so for you for you to go on that that rant to me, it was wholly appropriate, completely appropriate because what you said was the truth. So I, I cut you off, Joe. Go ahead. Now I want to talk about the book because in your book,
1: um, I, and I did read it. I have it right here. Tan Books was kind enough to send it to me. Uh, you you kind of put little. Like essays together. You have Shugel uh, of Pachamama fame. You have Tim Gordon, his wife wrote one. Then you have some unknown folks.
0: Joe, sorry, sorry, sorry. When, when I think Alexander Shugel, that's all I can think of my mind is I love that guy. <laughs> when when, when Pachimama went into when Pachi Mama went into the Tiber, okay, I gotta say I, I, I got I got a charge out of that. So so No, he's ahead, a good Joe. guy.
1: And to be honest with you, um, and we were talking about this before the show, David, I found them to be very balanced. I've listened to interviews yeah. with him. He's not like a lunatic, like he's right. a very balanced, kind, and, and and intelligent person. But you have him in the book. Talk a little bit about some of those essays. Um, because they're they're different. I mean, you have like a girl who was I think she was said she was like into Wiccan. you know, yeah, and now right. she's going to Latin mass. Then you have like Tim Gordon, who takes it from an intellectual perspective. then you got Shugel. He's in Europe. Talk right. about like, you know, some of the more, you know, uh, I don't know, like like interesting stories that our listeners may you know, really want to uh, go out there and get the book and read,
2: yeah, yeah. so that's um generally, too. that's the idea. The idea was to bring people from all over the world and with different stories together to tell those stories about how they came to the latin mass um and you know fundamentally for different reasons but fundamentally to to tell people and to show people that you know we're all just seeking jesus christ and that's why we all came to the latin mass and we found peace in christ there and we're not you know we're not a bunch of crazy not socially well-adjusted people Uh, but yeah, I think there are definitely some interesting stories in there. Um, a couple, you know, college friends of mine wrote wrote chapters for it as well. My friend Kenny Alexander, his, his story is very interesting because, you know, he grew up kind of deep into that secular lifestyle, you know, doing drugs, you know, football was his life, that kind of thing. Um, but then he, he got hit hard with the faith by seeing his, I think it was a cousin of his, come back from Franciscan University and just being at a family gathering and asking him point blank because that's the kind of guy that Kenny is. It's, Why are you so happy? You know, what is it that has given you this peace? And, you know, he says basically that the faith and the sacraments have given him peace. And that that sets Kenny on a course, you know, with a little stumbles along the way. But he eventually ends up straight in the Latin mass, you know, where he finds that that faith transmitted and something that can give him that peace. So you get someone like him, you know, growing up in New Hampshire, you get Alexander growing up, you know, in the faith and not really knowing anything besides, you know, a reverent Latin mass for years of his life growing up in Austria. Um, but he, you know, he really can see the value of that seriousness about the faith, the tradition and the joy that comes from it too. You know, he lives his life. Um, I think there's a, there's got to be a better word for it, but, you know, something of an activist, you know, in the pro-life movement and in traditional Catholicism in Austria. But he's just very joyful about the faith, no matter how you see it. And then you have people who kind of had a bad taste in their mouth, like Timothy and Stephanie Gordon and, you know, myself to a smaller degree, encountering kind of a, a lukewarm Catholicism that doesn't take itself seriously. And then going to the Latin mass and finding, well, these people take the faith seriously you know, this mass is very, you know, serious. There's a lot of, a lot of richness and meat to it. And so you'll see somebody like Stephanie Gordon saying that millennials don't want a watered down version of the faith. You know, they want the whole truth, especially in this crazy world. And then lastly, you get people talking about, a friend from school, Matthew, talking about just architecture, how the architectural beauty of the church's traditional architecture speaks of the beauty of God. And then Stephanie Lazinski the last writer, coming from basically everything under the sun, you know, atheism, Wiccan, Orthodox Christianity. And from an experience at sort of a, a Muslim training camp, realizing like this is not good. This is not a good path. And I need to turn to Christ because he has he has the path that's really going to make me happy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. David DeShield's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. we we are talking about His new book, Ever Ancient, Ever New, why younger generations are embracing traditional Catholicism that is available at Tam Books. I'm going to probably butcher this, so let me say that I'm paraphrasing C.S. Lewis. Okay, Um, but basically, what his his idea was: if you are on the wrong path, okay, you have no and you know that you're on the wrong path, you have no option other than to stop where you are, turn around. And go back to where you came from there's no there's no go this way go that way or keep moving forward and he said, and he described that person who has i think the courage to do that as the most progressive person because the path that you're on and people say oh i'm a progressive i'm a progressive well if you're on a really bad path as joe grassinolo alluded to if we're bearing bad fruit we must have the courage to stop turn around and go back to the starting point now the reason why i bring that up. Is this um, one of the overarching themes of your book? Is the path forward for the church is her past to go back to ABCs mm-hmm. to fundamentals? Okay, F- flesh that out a little bit for us, David DeShiel at the front line with Joe and Joe. Sure, yeah, so that is basically the major theme, and it's not,
2: I think there's a misunderstanding out there a big misunderstanding about people who attend the Latin Mass and you know might call themselves traditional Catholics that we're just looking for something old because we like old things. Um, You know, it is called the Old Mass. Um, Still thinking of a, trying to think of a better term for the Latin Mass too, but um, that's not really the case. It's not so much that things are old and therefore they're good. It's we're looking for the faith of Christ, you know, given to the apostles who then ordained bishops to carry on that teaching of Christ, to carry on that worship of God unstained that started out with, you know, these big major institutions of the liturgical rites, which then slowly developed over time until they became more and more refined, more and more faithful, you know, through the work of the Holy Spirit through the centuries. And then after a certain point, sort of, you know, crystallized a little bit so that they could really accurately portray that, you could say, primitive faith, but not because it's old, because it's, more faithful to what Jesus Christ wanted. And so that's what people are looking for when they're looking for, when they're going to the church's past. What does that really mean? The future of the church lies in her past. It means the future of the church lies in being more faithful to Christ and finding those things. um, And this is what I would define, you know, if you had to pin me down as traditional, finding those things that the majority of faithful Christians have done through the centuries since Christ To you know, worship and popular piety, how did they live their lives? What kind of a morality did they have? You know, what did they do? They did uh, traditional devotions, you know, they might have prayed the rosary, prayed novenas, did processions, they fasted, you know, they prayed together, they attended, you know, similar liturgies that they could say, you know, descended from the apostles and that kind of thing. And so that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for in the future of the church because ultimately that's the the vivifying factor, the thing that's going to you know charge the church forward is her founder, Jesus Christ. It's not you know a fad. It's not something that will be attractive. It'll just get people to the doors. And it's not even just a picking and choosing of, oh, we think the Christians practiced this way in the early years, but then also this stuff over here is good and this stuff from the modern world. It's not kind of a hodgepodge. It's trying to find that faith unstained through the centuries.
1: You know, I I first principles are big. And and ultimately, again, I'm going to go back to the old adage. You'll know them by their fruit, and Catholicism is painting by numbers. The rosary, confession, receiving the Eucharist in the state of grace. I got news for you. If you do those three things faithfully, your eyes will be open. You see, we just got to get back to basics as a community. We've kind of—and, you know, and this is the spirit of Vatican II, not those three things— uh, sad. Well, it, you know, it just not emphasized as much. But I think what people have have come to, especially in America, you know, we're supposedly smart people. We're supposedly rich people. We have everything. I know better than God. No, you don't. No, you right. don't. You see, there's a lack of obedience. If you follow. Within the lines, you'll meet the Lord, and and that's at the root of the problem, to be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I think it's at the root of the problem, and I'd I'd like your comment on it. Those in the Latin Mass as well as in the Novus Ordo Mass, you have to be (laughs) obedient to the church. I always know Padre Pio. Padre Pio couldn't say the Mass for 10 years, and he was obedient, and he was innocent. The church has authority and you stay within the lines. I am a faithful son of the Roman Catholic church. And that goes for Novus Ordo people who come up with some crazy idea to come in with flags and banners and whatever the heck else you want to do. And then you got people on the Latin mass side who frankly don't accept saints like John Paul II, Right. Yeah. And you're like, are you out of your mind? Two from two miracles canonized in six years when you have two miracles i'll listen to you okay that's what i have to say to you when you, when, right. you when you're when you canonized in six years we'll have a conversation until then i'm going to listen to him so talk about that because to be honest with you david you're i'm very impressed with you you're not a lunatic i'm a lunatic but in a different <laughs> way you're, you're and you're very like balanced and you just like to go to latin mass it appeals to you and your family good for you but talk right. about that. Staying within the lines.
2: Yeah. Right. And now now I just wanna, you know, put it out there. I, I believe that, you know, objectively going to Latin Mass is, is better than going to Novus Ordo. I'm gonna still go to Novus Ordo on occasion. You know, I'm not gonna bash people who do it. But, you know, it's not just my preference. But yeah, like I I'm not gonna be a jerk about it. And I think that that's part of the reason why we wanted to we wanted to put together this book because there are a lot of vocal people. Who go to the Latin Mass, who might not consider charity as much, and unfortunately, I think that the people listening to them or the people hearing about them have, you know, gotten the wrong idea of what traditional Catholicism is, like, what Catholicism is like, really, and that's led into, you know, bishops, priests, potentially the Pope has some misunderstandings about those who attend the Latin Mass. And so we're just trying to set the record straight, saying, well, uh, you know, we're not crazy here. We do have some problems. You know, we have people who, you know, may not have some respect for others, who have a triumphalistic attitude, who seem to think that, you know, they're the only ones in the true church. And I'm not thinking super specifically right now, just to say that, just to get I that get out it, there. I get it. Um, but then that's not that's not representative. And unfortunately, those people are very vocal. And so you can get the idea that this is what it's all about, but that's not true. And you look at the Novus Ordo too, you have have different issues, but still kind of a similar problem where you have people being very vocal about how, you know, we just need to be welcoming, we just need to let people in, Um, you know, we don't need to be so rigid, that kind of thing. And so you might get the idea that people who attend the Novus Ordo specifically just don't care about their faith, not necessarily true, you know. There are a lot of good Catholics who attend the Novus Ordo, too. So I think it's part of that just trying to set the record straight, saying, you know, we're seeking Jesus Christ. You know, we found him here. And we need, to, we need to preach that. You know, we need to preach the faith and invite people in. But we don't need to yell at people who haven't yet been introduced at all and might not have ears to hear anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. David DeShield joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are discussing his new book, Ever Ancient, Ever New, While Younger Generations Are Embracing Traditional Catholicism. I will ask you this, David. Or, uh, let me put it like I say. I think one of the problems is Joe mentioned authority and obedience. Within the parishes, though, um, there's just, quite frankly, just a lack of discipline. Um, I saw that firsthand when mm-hmm. I was living in Brooklyn, when I first met my wife, um, We were going to. uh, It actually was. It was declared a minor basilica, Regina Pachis in uh, in Brooklyn. Okay, and I was elector. I wasn't anything other than a lector there, okay? But people used to come up to me and they would say, well, the, like, complain about Monsignor because he made this rule or that rule or that rule or said you can't walk up the aisle while the gospel is being proclaimed or you can't light a candle during the Eucharist. He had rules. He had discipline. They all complained to me. I don't know why they complained to me. I was just a elector. Right. Uh, maybe they thought that I had a, maybe they thought I had an in with Monsignor or something. But my point is, the discipline there didn't do anything to keep anybody away from mass monsignor ran a disciplined parish there are do's there are don'ts okay novus ordo of course okay and a minor basilica but there are do's and don'ts all right for all the complaining nobody went to another parish they all still stayed at monsignor's parish okay um with all the discipline talk about the need to accept that in in church you just you can't do what you want yes once you come in no, sorry. You're going to be told. I, we know that you're. We welcome you back, but you you can't wear sandals and you can't wear shorts. And I was one of those guys, so I'm guilty. Right. Okay, but I was told, in a loving way, that you're not being very respectful. All right, what's wrong with in having a little bit of discipline? Stop being fearful about saying into church to all the people. There are do's and don'ts, and this is the way it's going to be. Am I wrong? No. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because um, that's
2: that's what it's about. You know, we're being obedient to someone. We're being obedient to, you know, the Trinity of the father, son, and Holy spirit. And it's not, it's not about us. And I think that's the thing that um, people kind of forget, you know, they want, they want community. They want something that caters to their preference, which is okay in its place, but mass isn't the place for that. That's not the point of the mass. The point of the mass is not just to have a meal together and have a good time. It's to worship Jesus Christ as he's asked to be worshipped. And, you know, to, to your points earlier, you know, obedience is very important because the Lord asks for specific things. You know, you read the Bible. He's very specific in what he wants, even in the Sermon on the Mount, which, you know, you could see as kind of, you know, revolutionizing things, which I don't think is exactly fair. But like you actually read that and he says, it was said thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, and you think, oh, you know, maybe he's going to revise things a little bit. No, he's actually calling you to something more strict. Do not be angry with your brother. Anyone who looks at a woman with adultery, with lust in his heart, has committed adultery with her in his heart. Things like that. And then back in Exodus, when the Lord is telling Moses how to make the tabernacle, he's real specific of the measurements, the materials, all of that. Because the Lord knows you know, having created the world, that certain things worship him better than others. And if the point of going to church is to worship the Lord, which is ultimately something very good for us, you know, we've got to respect that. And we've got to be disciplined enough to listen to those in authority, whether it's a priest, a bishop, or the Pope and say, okay, you know, this is ultimately for my good. And even if I don't have that in mind, you know, ultimately this is to give God glory, which is the purpose of my life. You know, it's not supposed to be about me and it might hurt because it is kind of painful sometimes to have to be obedient, have to be disciplined. But that's ultimately why we're there to give glory to God. And I think you could say a similar thing, a point I may not have sufficiently addressed in the Latin mass communities. There are some and there aren't many, you know, I wouldn't count myself as one of them or identify with them who have splintered off, who have been disobedient in that way. You know, you said before, you know, it's you don't leave the church if you have a problem with that sort of thing. You know, you want to be disciplined, you want to be obedient. And unfortunately, some who have gone too far in, you know, disobedience to the Holy Father, for example, have left the church and said, well, nowhere does it right. You know, I'm going to believe that we have no Pope. And they are a little more nuanced than that, to be fair, but it's still not the right attitude and not the right approach. All
0: right. Joe Restenola, we have a, uh... Probably about four or five minutes left, Joe. So we got time for maybe one, maybe two questions.
1: I want to just read something. I'll be honest, guys. It comes from an encyclical, which was in Latin, and I didn't include it because I would have butchered it. So I I just kind of got the quote. So I'm just going to read it, and I think this is the way forward. It says, The very testimony of their Christian life and good works done in a supernatural spirit have the power to draw men to believe and to God. For the Lord says, Even so, let your light shine before men in order that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. I always remember this because, you know, someone said this to me a long time ago and I like a priest. It stuck with me. Jesus is not found in the front of the church he's many times found in the back and he's broken and alone and if you go to him in the back and take him by the hand he will bring you to the front of the church we have to do this no one is going to join a club with a bunch of grumpy nasty old men we have to be joyful and jesus was joyful and jesus was good to people And you will know them by their fruit. And I say this on the show all the time, and I love your comments. Saints will change the world, and only saints will change the world. We have to live our life radically and strive to be saints. And I think that's the problem in the American Catholic Church. There's not enough people who will live radically and want to strive for and be saints— and if we had that, there is no problem in the American Catholic Church. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think it speaks to, you know, kind of coming back full circle. Ultimately, yeah, saints will change the world. The problem of the Catholic Church is that we need saints. And what does that mean on its root? We need God. You know, we need God to change us. You know, he's not just a footnote. You know, it's imperative that we rely on the Lord, that we understand that He needs to permeate every aspect of our lives, and so I've been saying a lot in, during this interview, during this show, that the mass isn't about us, religion isn't about us. We have to look at the positive side of that. We need the Lord. You know, we can't we can't function without God. You know, Christ says, you know, without me you can't bear fruit. And so we need him to transform us. We need to take advantage of those means of grace, the sacraments, you know, what you might call traditional, but you could call Catholic as well. You know, the rosary, prayer, fasting, the mass, and the life of charity, you know, to really attempt to be transformed by the Lord. And especially, like you say, to live a courageous life, that's something especially lacking. Don't be afraid to talk about the faith. Don't be afraid to pray in public. It's really not that much, especially when you look at the saints throughout the ages. They did much more courageous things than that, and they transformed the world. So I think you're right. That's what we need, saints who rely on the Lord.
0: You mentioned uh, public, um, public witness, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I just can't emphasize enough. I think it's so important. Uh, when I was in New Jersey, Joe uh, Rasinello had organized and still does, even though I'm not there, the first Saturdays uh, of every month, different, different parishes in Bergen County. Joe, you had what, 40 men show up? Uh yeah, it
1: was a it was a good crew. We we just pray in front of churches, men that pray the rosary in front of churches. I know Shugel does that all over Vienna. I've seen him at the Boniface Institute. He does a great job of that. Uh, very, I
0: think the, very... I think the public, I think the public witness is is so important. I myself, I was, I was honored enough to have gotten to Scottsdale when Jesse Romero was organizing the uh the prayer rally in front of the hotel where the Satanists were having their convention. Right. Um Talk about the need in for, for about maybe 30 seconds or a minute. I want to give you time for it to let people uh, tell people about the book again one more time, David, and where they could buy it. But talk about the need for courage, the courage as Catholic men in these instances and, other, and, and in other ways to get out and bear witness in the public square. Right. I think it's huge. I mean, because basically
2: what you're seeing is um, those who would oppose the church, um, who would oppose faith, period are extremely courageous, are extremely vocal, you know, they're running institutions. Um, I was about to say practically, but no, you know, in reality, they're running institutions. And we need to do the same thing. You know, we need to get in the public square. Like, yes, we need a home base. You know, we need to cultivate the faith in our families. But then we need to go out. And we need to share it. And we need to be just as courageous. We need to be more courageous than those who are attacking the faith. We need to defend it because it's something that brings true peace and joy and hope. It's something real. It's something tangible.
0: That's a great place to end the show. David, where, uh, title of the book and where folks could buy it. Sure. Ever Ancient, Ever New,
2: Why Younger Generations Are Embracing Traditional Catholicism Tan Books.
0: Tan Books, that's right. Tan Books, not Amazon, not Target. Tan Books, that's who we have to support. David DeShield, thank you so much, brother. I'm sure we're going to have you back on the show. We really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Um, We want to thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Make sure you download the app at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. And please follow Joe and I on social media at the Frontline uh, Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.